So uh, those that uh, may remember, uh, over and over again, we've played throughout the years a, a recording of our friend Ed Saloom, who was the former head coach of WPI football, still a big friend and fan of their program, obviously, went into retirement and handed over the keys to Coach Robertson over there. Uh, but back when Eric Run and I were doing the show, this was the first few weeks the show even existed uh, back then, uh, I was uh, kind of accidentally asking a question that has uh, led to this replay over and over again. Uh, those that don't know the context, 9-11-2001 was a Tuesday. Four days later, a lot of uh, games didn't get played, but one that did get played was Union hosting WPI at Frank Bailey Field. And Coach Saloom, I remember uh, having attended that game myself, talked to both teams after the game. And, uh, you know, a rarity, but uh, hey, it, it was 9-11 and, you know, the aftermath, there are no rules. There's no rule book for that or any guidelines as to how you handle it. And he felt compelled to talk to both teams. And I, instead of explaining everything he's going to tell you about, we're going to play it right, right here one more time in Coach Saloom's own words. On September 28, 2008, former WPI head coach Ed Zaloom joined Eric Ren and me on our Liberty League interview show, In the Huddle. During the interview, I asked Coach Zaloom about the football game played on Frank Bailey Field on September 15, 2001, just four days after Shanksville, Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C., and New York City were attacked on September 11th. For those just joining us, Coach Ed Zaloom from the WPI joining us here in the huddle. Uh, Coach, my first exposure to you uh, was back a long time ago, uh, it seems like, and that makes me sound old right now. In uh, 2001, <laughs> it brought in the WPI team to Union, and it was right after 9-11. There was a lot of questions as to whether that game was going to be played or not. And it was a rare circumstance after the game. A Union had defeated you in a really hard-fought game, I believe, uh, that year. But you addressed both teams on the field after that game, a very rare thing for uh, that to happen. I mean, take us back. What did you say to the teams uh, that day, and how close was that game to not being played uh, in retrospect? Well, you know, I've got to admit something to Frank. That was a very difficult week for me. Uh, I've never had trouble uh, going out to a practice field and preparing a football team, um, regardless of what the circumstance was the week before, whether we won, whether we lost, whether we were 0-5 or 5-0. But I've got to tell you, that was probably the most difficult week for me to go out to a practice field because it seemed so meaningless at the time. And I remember calling the commissioner almost every day and asking him, am I the only guy that's having this kind of problem and should not all games be canceled? And he said he had already gotten a million calls, the head of the NCAA, on that issue and that they still felt it was better to play so that we wouldn't lend any credence to what went on and the country would, wouldn't be in panic as a, as a result of everything being canceled that was going on. So, you know, I felt very strongly at the time, and we had a, a, a ceremony on the field. And I, I, you remember that, Frank. I think it was before the game. I think we mm -hmm. gave honor to the people that had passed away in the whole incident. And then after the game, I just felt this great passion to to, uh, to talk to both teams. And, you know, John Ardino and I have always had a good relationship with Gary Reynolds, the whole coaching staff there, if you remember. I'd coached in that area for many years and got to know those guys very well. 
So no, you know, I, you know, it's hard for me to think back and remember what I said. I simply, I, I, I guess I wanted to say to the players to, uh, you know, um, that our heart should go out to those people that passed away and so on, that you as the young people and you as athletes especially, I have a, a great fondness for college football athletes and college athletes as a whole. I believe they're going to be the next leaders of our great nation and of the world. And I said, you know, that that is that what was very important is that they take the things they learn here on the football field and they use that in the future and to make sure that our country remains strong as a result of their character and the things that they learn out on the football field. And I think that was the basic message that I was given them at the time, you know, uh, because it seemed to me, I was very confused at the time. It looked like the world around me was collapsing. If you had told me then uh, that there would never have been another attack on our United States up to now, I would have never believed it. You know. That's one of those moments, Coach, it's the Pearl Harbor of our generation in the standpoint we all kind of remember where we were. I'm sure it really yeah. put a lot of things into perspective. While Coastal Loom is no longer coaching WPI, his stories and words of wisdom live on to this day as shown by the clip you just heard. His memories of 9-11 are much like the rest of ours, and like him, we will never forget. Okay, so uh, thank you again, uh, Coach DeLoom. I uh, hope you're doing well out there. I know that uh, Coach Robertson and uh, Rusty Egan over at WPI always share this, uh, yeah. that we do this uh, out there. And someday hope to have him back on the show maybe to talk about it again. Uh, 20 years. How did that happen, man? <laughs> 20 years. Wow. JB, I swear to God, I, I remember being at our Balsam Spa Memorial that we do here in the Village of Balsam Spas where I have mm -hmm. kind of retreated during COVID. Uh, which is home, yeah. uh, and I remember it like yesterday. We're doing the 19th anniversary uh, program, basically there. It feels like yesterday. So these these years are flying by. COVID doesn't help matters like that at all. I'm sure because of the amount of idle time and you know calendar flipping we did. It seems like in these last 18 months. But holy cow! Uh, I again, I I can remember what happened, where I was, where I ended up. And the memory of getting back into Manhattan uh, around 3.30 p.m. on that day after the subway opened back up. And, you know, I, I have a place or had a place on 43rd and 11th at the time. Uh, and just seeing the plume of smoke down in the downtown and hanging over a lot of uh, New York at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's indelible. I, I can't forget it. I won't forget it, and for reasons of having friends that we lost in the process, I certainly won't ever let myself forget it, what happened back then. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a little different experience for me. I, I was living in Los Angeles at the time and was kind of waking up to the news in, in some respect because it was a you know, Tuesday morning and I was on my way out to work a little after, you know, eight in the morning, uh, West Coast time, and, and uh, my landlord at the time, um, it said, Hey, did you see the news? And um, uh, no, I went on, turned the TV and was just kind of just dumbstruck with what I was seeing there before me. Um, still ended up going into the office and we, and we worked for a couple hours, but it, it just, there was a very eerie feeling. Um, and it almost felt like being, you know, in, in a building for one and, and doing that at, at 
you know, given what our country just had, had gone through, um, you know, eventually we all just sort of decided it was a better idea to go home. And, um, you know, I would find out, you know, a little later uh, after the fact, unfortunately, that some uh, people that I knew, uh, not necessarily, you know, close fr friends or family, but like a, a former uh, Hobart football teammate of mine who uh, was a senior when I was a freshman, um, had, had passed away in in, in the attack. Um, a younger sister of a of a woman that I went to high school with, um, she was there for a business meeting, uh, and just unfortunately, wrong place, uh, wrong time. There's now a, a memorial dedicated to her outside the public library in my hometown in Connecticut. So it's definitely a, a an incident that you know people from our generation especially will remember very vividly uh unfortunately the current players uh that we're covering now were were too young or not even born yet to to really remember it um so but it's definitely something that you know continues to cast a a, a kind of a, of a shadow on on our country and society it's certainly something that we have to you know take some time and reflect on um you know those who who were lost in a really sad and unfortunate day in our country's history before we talk football, uh, we will talk football in the show because we have week two pending here. and uh, That's kind of what we're here for, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and the, the whole gist of, uh, you know, the Coach uh, Zaloom discussion was Zoomer, life yeah. has to continue, but we don't He's forget right. the memories of this. We, we basically to use the memories to make life better down the line for ourselves. Uh, we wanted to bring in Jacob Vicari and Mike McGee of the University of the South at Swanee. Uh, they are uh, two uh, very good and uh, adult, I would call them, mature football players. Uh, and if you don't believe me in that or think, oh, that, that's kind of patronizing, Frank, no, uh, watch this interview and understand that these guys are uh, above average in a lot of different ways uh, in life itself, uh, well beyond where I was in the 20 to 22-year-old range. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, same thing there. I, I think we know enough about ourselves looking back to know that these guys are far and away above where we were at the fraternity parties and everything else that we were uh, enjoying when we were at that age uh, in school. Uh, and uh, talk about their football season starting up, ironically, on 9-11 for these two because of the cancellation last week uh, before they could even get to the game, although some of their fans already were there uh, or in the uh, region of it. Uh, we won't focus too much on that, but we'll focus on this interview, they are volunteer firefighters, and here they are. Well, welcome, guys. I mean, as, as we've talked in the in the preamble before we brought you on, you know, a, a part of the reason why we wanted to have you two on the on the program was to uh, talk a little bit about 9-11. Uh, you guys are, are firemen in your community there in, uh, in Tennessee. How did you guys get involved with this program and, and I imagine there's probably a few stories that, that you guys can tell about your experiences helping people out in the community. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm a year older than Mike. Um, I joined the department. There's a little tryout process freshman year, uh, but I was kind of driven towards that by some of the football guys, actually. Uh, there's two seniors and two juniors the year I started playing football. Um, and they, you know, really thought that I'd be a good candidate for the department. And, you know, right off the bat, kind of going into the classes and the training, almost just like fell in love with the experience just because it was so different. Um, 
so unique, such a great opportunity to do something that, you know, helps people out and is something that not a lot of people can say they can do. Um, and, you know, a lot of that stuff is translated to football and, you know, just life in general, the classroom, everything. Um, so that's kind of where I, I got into it. Right. Like, so it my freshman year, right. So my freshman year, I, uh, wanted to find something that would be real impactful to the community and be a part of like a family and brotherhood that uh would be more than football and guys like Vic on the football team helped me lead me to like that avenue because they saw me as a good candidate as well so I uh did the process talk about the hardest thing I've ever done but uh yeah I did the process made it and Never looked back. It's been a great experience for me. Definitely have been able to apply things on in the department, off the department, you know, that have changed my life dramatically. It's been a great experience. Big responsibility, but it's been great. I'm glad you guys brought up the brotherhood of it all. I, I, if, I have lived in New York City at least part-time since 2001. I, in fact, moved there in August of 2001. And I uh, remember uh, looking from my shower window, uh, we had a little uh, window to look out, we're down uh, toward the south on 9-11, and I was supposed to fly to Chicago that day, and watching things fly from the first tower hit, not knowing what was going on uh, at that time. Uh, and what people don't know is that my sister and I, uh, my sister Gina, uh, she became very close with one of the firehouses in New York City, at 48th and 8th, uh, entered 54, ladder uh, 4, uh, tally 9, which you'll often see in the uh, New Year's Eve ABC show, actually. Uh, they uh, helped man that show uh, in Times Square. And you realize, uh, you know, accidentally, and then with the events, the brotherhood that has formed between the firefighters there. And they're, they're paid firefighters there, obviously, but even the volunteer firefighters that I'm... I've got family in the uh, firehouse uh, locally. I I'm glad you touched on the brotherhood of it all. Compare the brotherhood of the football team to the volunteer firefighter squad uh, in your area, and how special really is it? I kind of elaborate on that. Mike, you go, go ahead and start, and then Jacob. Right. So I say the biggest difference between brotherhoods would be that in the fire department, you know, we legitimately have to trust and depend on each other for our lives, right? When we go into a fire, we have to have 100% confidence that the man right beside us or the man that's on the that's on the engine working the panel is doing exactly what he's supposed to do, so I'm okay right here by the hose in the line of fire. So I think there's an even bigger, you know, line of uh, love for the people that you work with and trust that you have to have to be able to do it. Yeah, I think Mike hit it right on the head, just, you know, that we legitimately lived together. Um, before, I guess my freshman year, so after I made the department second semester of my freshman year, um, we lived in the house that they had, they had their own house uh, for the fire department. So I got to experience that and how unique that was. It was really just, you know, there's football guys on the team, and they were really close, but to see these people, you know, which now have become us living together and, you know, eating together. Uh, you know, we all share the same bathroom, uh, everything like that. Um, 
but to just see each other every day, the bond is so much stronger than anything I could ever really relate to besides my actual family. Um, and I think that just, that's just the main difference with football. Um, although I will say that the, we definitely have a lot of guys that are really close and um, I definitely consider that my family as well. Well, I know we hear a lot in the media sometimes, you know, football games are like, you know, they're battles or going into war. There's a sort of, you know, life or death sort of importance placed on on them sometimes when in reality, you know, sure, you can have a, a, a bad injury or certain certainly, you know, things can happen in a game that will uh, affect you physically. But you guys actually really do deal with some life and, and death situations. Your, your coach, um, you know, mentioned to us, uh, you know, some stories around, like there was a, I think a, a dump truck that had flipped over off the side of the road and the, the driver had to be, um, you know, sawed out of this. I mean, it looks, looks pretty bad um, kind of a situation. And there was a, a hiker um, who had fallen into like a ravine or a side of a cliff that, that you guys had to help, you know, save and, and pull her up. Um, you know, from a, a pretty precarious situation. I mean, these are these are truly life and death situations. And in both cases, the driver and this and this woman, the, the hiker, were able to survive um, based on on the the efforts that that your department had put in. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about you know what it's like to be in these um, true life or death situations, and and, and how do you support each other uh, and get through them? Yeah, um, I know you mentioned, you know, talking about football being sort of, you know, you go out there and, you know, Saturday you're ready to go to war, um, you know, and you say stuff like that, and it's just a little bit different. Um, it's similar in the same way you have to prepare, right? You go through the whole week of practice trying to be perfect for Saturday, knowing all your assignments, knowing how they're going to play, how you need to run this route, et cetera, um, and that is all so elevated when you get on a scene like that for a fire call um, because you never know, especially in such a small community like Suwannee, you never know if it's someone you'll know, you know that's going to be in there. Um, yeah, mentally, it's really a challenge. You kind of have to block everything out and just know your job. Um, trust the guy next to you. You're always with the partner. You just have to trust that he's going to do his job and know that you're going to do your job for him. Um, staying calm, I would say, is the biggest thing. You just have to kind of be level-headed know that you have an assignment everyone has a role um keep yourself safe but you know, at the same time do your best to to try to get everyone out or save as much of a building or something that you can um it's really just it, it's so surreal um but i know the first time i got on one you know you're in the rig driving over there and your nerves are going crazy um but you get out and it's kind of just, you know, you're locked in and, and it, it flips a switch almost. You kind of, I wouldn't say blackout, but sort of along those lines, like you just get in that zone and you're, you're just doing what you need to do. Mike, what's your scariest story or memory of uh, being a firefighter so far? Obviously, uh, you're a year removed uh, from uh, what Jacob uh, has experienced there, but I'm, I'm sure knowing uh, what I know about firefighters that there's at least one close call or memory uh, that sort of gives you a, that indelible mark in the back of your mind about being a firefighter? Right. So uh, I'll say potentially my scariest moment would have been that we had a house fire, I believe, 
last year. I don't remember which semester, probably uh, the spring semester, but we had a house fire and uh, the fire was full of just like ammunition everywhere. They had an ammunition room, ammunition just laying in the living room and the house was basically engulfed and we're trying to salvage safes and things and make sure <coughs> we can uh, minimize the damage and it was just so nerve-wracking and I felt like it was so dangerous because all you could hear is popping off of gunshots of these uh, just bullets getting lit up so yeah, I would say that was pretty high stakes for me. <laughs> yeah. You you guys are what basically about 20 years old, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 22, so 20, let's say we're both around there. So, Jacob, I'm going to assume you have no real memory of 9/11 the day of uh, in 2001. Uh, no. like same thing. But you know the stories, you know the brotherhood that kind of formed around the situation after uh, the towers went down and the loss of all the firefighters that were there. Uh, Mike, I just heard that story from you, and I I wonder, you know, with that kind of in the back of your head about what happened on a day like that, why would you still want to do this? Why would you, did, did it ever detract from you, and can you imagine what they went through that day at all? In New York City, with in a high rise, let alone you know a one or two story house type of situation, Jacob, you know, being a little bit older here and maybe a little more closely connected in that respect uh, to the time frame, what, what goes through your mind with something like that in this 20th anniversary? Um, you know, I would say to answer your question about why, um, you know, why you would want to do this, it's sort of, you know. Obviously, everything I said at the beginning about it being so unique and all that was was really driving for me to want to become, you know, a volunteer firefighter here at school. Um, but you know, in a in a broader sense or in a grander sense, um, you just kind of feel like you have a duty to uphold. And um, you know, you are the ones that kind of step up, especially like I said, Swanee's such a small community. Um, we feel like we're the ones to step up, and you know, we have that job to do, and we're we really are driven by being able to help people the best we can. Um, but that 9-11 is so, it's its really, you can't even put it into words how much more difficult that was than anything I'll ever have to do. Um, you know, I was watching a documentary the other day and a firefighter remembers going up the stairs and they hit the 90th floor and that's where the first person that they saw coming down said that they had seen flames. and. I couldn't imagine going up 90 stories in general with the air pack on and your mask on and all the gear, let alone, you know, going up there to fight a fire and save, you know, see if you can even save anybody at that point facing this tragedy, knowing what it is, what it is. Now it's just, you know, being in a burning building kind of gives you a sense of like what they're going into, but not even close to, you know, being able to appreciate how insane it was that, you know, how brave it was for them to go in there and, and carry out that job. Yeah, and, and you know, this question could either go to either one of you guys. I mean, um, you know, you're, you're upperclassmen um, at Sewanee and, and uh, kind of transitioning to football. You know, does, does do these do these life experiences that you have, you know, kind of put the, the whole, you know, football wins and losses and better perspectives because let's face it i mean 2019 was a tough season for you guys um 
you know, certain cases people might say, well, you know, why, why would, you know, why are you going back? Why are you going to keep playing for a team that, that struggled? Uh, but obviously there's something more than just wins and losses going on uh, up there at Sewanee that it's a kind of bigger picture. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and now that you're on the precipice, literally, you know, a couple of days away from finally getting to play that first game, um, how does it feel? Right. So I think one of the biggest things is that we 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 were present when it happened and when it occurred, and we know the potential that we we had and the potential that we have currently, and the camaraderie that us and our the family that we have on that football team has is you know above anything. And regardless wins losses, we still have that you know to have at the end of the day. And and who wouldn't want another win? You know something something to fight for. You know, I think uh, we have a really good mentality of not not laying our heads down, you know, having a short memory and keep playing. So I think that's what we're going to do and what we decided to do. And, Jacob, I mean, last week you were supposed to start uh, with the game of football. And, uh, unfortunately, and this happened one time out of the two in the spring for you guys. A uh, game gets canceled because of a COVID situation. Uh or in Brevard's case last year, some other stuff was going on too, I think, for them. But regardless, you've gotten one of your last three scheduled games in, technically. Um, now you're going to have to kick off on 9-11 at Washington and Lee. You guys have to be kind of like chomping at the bit here, being like, come on, guys, let, let's get this uh, show on the road. Let's get our season uh, beginning here. Are we going to see that kind of energy uh, kind of take uh, place? Because Washington Lee does have a game under their belts, as we showed on our show uh, on Wednesday, uh, the highlights from that game. What's the feeling like right now? Yeah, um, you know, there's a there's a whole class of guys on this team that have been here for a year and haven't even gotten to play, you know, a real game, one that counted. Um, you know, when we played that game this spring, it was a lot of rotating guys. A lot of freshmen got to play, which was good, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, go out there and, and put our first team out there and, you know, go through um, and, you know, try to win that game. It was more about getting experience for guys. So everyone here is just can't wait. I mean, yesterday was one of the best practices I think we've had since I've been here. Just a lot of, you know, a lot of energy, mostly. Uh, guys look good, making plays, flying around. Um, and we, you know, we really don't like W. No, we haven't beat them, and since I've been here, we haven't beat them in forever. So, I think it's good, you know, to start with them. We're we can't wait to get out there. We can't wait to see them. Um, I I don't even know how it's been this long. You know, we got to the airport on Saturday or on Friday last week, and. Uh, you know, didn't know where to park, so we looped around. And as we're looping around, we get a call that uh, the game's canceled. So that was pretty demoralizing. Jeez. But I think we've we've done a good job of keeping our heads. I'm proud of how we've reacted to that um, and just kind of moving on. Can't do anything about it. So uh, we're eager to get back out there. I think it's going to be fun. You know, a lot of flying around, a lot of flying around. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I know that speaking of flying around, I, I, I heard through the t kind of Twitter grapevine, unfortunately, there were a number of, you know, Tigers parents that were already waiting for the team in Minnesota when they found out that the game with St. Scholastica wasn't going to happen. And so uh, that that's a that's a tough pill to swallow. But um, you guys also had some good news uh, this week. Uh, and it's something that I think other D3 football programs out there might want to consider. Um, 
for uh, the possibility of either past or future uh, cancellations is schedule another game. And so you guys uh, missed week one, but you're going to now play um, during what I guess would have been a bye week in, in week four uh, against Hendricks over there in, in Arkansas. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you guys heard the news about that and what your thoughts are um, in getting to, uh, I guess, double down against the Warriors this season. I think it's a great opportunity, great opportunity for us to, you know, have that 10th game that we uh, want and that was promised to us at the beginning of the season. I think it just shows how determined and how much uh, the coaches, you know, fight for us, you know, because right when that game was canceled, they're trying to reschedule, get us somewhere else, somebody else to play because they know how bad we love this game, how bad we just want to play football in general. Yeah, I mean, we were on the bus and, uh, you know, a couple of us were sitting up towards the front, about a couple of seats away from Coach Rundle. And, you know, he's on the phone telling guys, we're on a bus. We'll, we, we'll come up there this week. You guys got canceled, you know. So we were looking, <laughs> yeah. we were looking to play right away. We, we can't wait. And I, I, while you're going to have to, uh, you know, basically be uh, mortal enemies, I guess, on the field uh, twice with Hendricks, uh, right now I think we can all take our hats off to them for accepting the challenge to do this. Uh, somewhat short notice, obviously not not as short as I uh, will turn the bus around and go to your place in the next couple hours, but still uh, pretty good uh, that they got this game scheduled up. And hats off to both athletic departments for making that happen. And as uh, JB said, a little ingenuity goes a long way in making sure that everybody gets their full complement of football that we are hoping for here this season. Guys, you are a pure pleasure to have on the show, uh, and uh, I, I just can't say enough great things about you guys and how uh, humble you are about the whole thing. I'm going to you know, take away the humility at this point and say the following, you guys kick ass in what you do. Uh, <laughs> don't don't underplay or underscore uh, any less than what I just said because it, there, it takes a special breed to be a firefighter. It takes a special breed to be a Division three football player. You are both and you do uh, your school an enormous amount of greatness by representing in that way, shape, and form. So congratulations to you guys. On our show, our tradition is to give you a chance for shout-outs, but I'm going to ask you to do something else after the shout-outs uh, here. Uh, so first off, Jacob, you go first, then Mike. Uh, shout-outs to any family, friends, teammates, etc. that might be watching. The floor is yours for shout-outs. Yeah, just want to give a shout-out to all my guys that are uh, watching this. Suwannee football, definitely Excited to get out there with you guys. Cyrus McCullough is going to be best receiver in the country this year. 86. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, shout out to my mom, you know, my dad, all my siblings out there. And uh, shout out to the boys. You know, love y'all guys. I'm ready to have a great season with y'all. And the other thing I'm going to ask you to do, uh, either one of you or both, however you want to handle it, Send a message to the families out there that are grieving uh, this weekend. Uh, again, 20th anniversary, it doesn't get any easier for uh, the folks out there. But I, I've got to think, JB, that seeing tremendous young men like these out here, you know, living up to the memories of those that we lost that day and beyond and before, uh, they have to feel pretty good that we have guys like this willing to pick up the mantle here and do this. Jacob, Mike, any messages you have for the families out there that are going to have a tough weekend here, regardless of the game of football getting played? 
Well, one of the biggest things I would like to say is thank you. Thank you for your relatives that, you know, gave their lives for us. And uh, thank you for the inspiration they've been for me personally to be a fireman, to push it hard that I can to be the best fireman I can be, you know, in this community, pushing me to be the best person I can be on and off the field. Yeah, add on to that. Just thank you guys so much for everything that they did um, and for how brave you guys have been with the grieving. I know that that's very difficult. Um, and, you know, I, every day when I do this job, I just, you know, pray that I can be even 1% of, you know, what those guys going into those towers were, how brave they were, how strong they were. Um, just thank you guys and thank you for them. I know you want to, uh, after that interview, uh, throw a little shout out yourself, JB, uh, to uh, their coach and uh, everything. So I'll let you take the floor here. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if this interview would have really happened if without you know, uh, Coach Rundle reaching out to us during the spring season of all things, um, basically saying that you know that they had this you know firefighting tradition as part of their school. And that it was something that he thought we should know about. And as soon as he said that, this weekend immediately popped into my head. And I was like, Frank, I have the perfect <laughs> guess or idea anyway. Um, you know, at the time, it was merely an idea. Uh, but those two really, um, you know, took it to a whole nother level. And it's great to know that there are uh, young men out there uh, like Jacob and Mike that are really doing more um, than just playing football. Uh, they, they've had some life experiences that many of us, uh, you know, even some that are in middle age, <laughs> you know, uh, haven't, haven't really ever come across. And so they're, they're sacrificing a lot um, to help out their local community. And um, it really says a lot about the Suwannee program that they have this uh, this tradition. Apparently, there's a jersey uh, and a number that goes along uh, with, um, you know, with these firefighters. Didn't quite work this year because it's a it's a kind of an offensive line uh, number, and these are you know skill players. Uh, Jacob's number one, and, and Mike is number sixteen. They can't be running around with a sixty, you know, there going into you know wide formations and stuff like that without flags being thrown. So eventually, um, there'll probably be some other guys that 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 do get that Jersey tradition up and up and running. But irrespective of that, that's a really great thing that, um, that coach Rundle and, and the folks at Sewanee are not only um, advocating for, but they're really, you know, they're, they're, they, they really kind of almost promote it um, within their program and, and get, get these kids some amazing life experiences because of it. I, I learn a lot just every time uh, we have an experience like this with these student athletes. Like I said before the interview, uh, you assume, you know, oh, they're, they're all adults, they're all adults. Well, some are more adult than others. And this is just a reminder of that fact. Uh, the track your life takes around Division Three football can be very different. It doesn't mean that your life is any less meaningful or more meaningful than another. But the fact that you go out and do something like that on top of playing football and having two brotherhoods concurrent like that the way you do and the pressures that go with both and you're still a student remember the student athlete thing that we promote here um i can't even imagine i really can't and hats off to those two uh 110 percent um, yeah, and let's 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 throw in this frank speaking of student i mean swanee is is right up there as one of the top uh liberal arts colleges in the country it's yep. extremely hard to get into it's you know 
places like Washington and Lee and, and Sewanee that are down here in the in sort of the mid to you know upper south, I mean, they're just as challenging as some of the NESCAC schools as far as admissions and requirements. So these these two young men not only are, are you know great for their community, but they must be great students to to be able to to gain admission to a school as competitive as that. So um, once again, uh, thank you to, to them and to Coach Rundle for um, giving us the opportunity to get to know them and share their story with all of you. Absolutely. So uh, what do you think? Should we uh, get some football uh, into the mix here a little bit? Is that what we do here, Frank? Uh, you know, it says something uh, down here about week two preview, I think. So I think we still have to do that, uh, even though we oh, will yeah. not forget this okay. weekend what's going on around that fact. I mean, Fair I built my schedule this weekend. I'm going to uh, Endicott on Friday night, as we talked about, I think, on a Wednesday show, uh, and then RPI on Saturday afternoon, uh, is sort of to be able to attend uh, a mass at 9 a.m. on Saturday here uh, for 9-11, and then uh, 7.30 p.m. we're doing a ceremony around the memorial. Uh, I don't know. I think we've told the story here, but we got the last two pieces of steel uh, that were being housed yeah. at a JFK uh, unit that they had there for the relics, et cetera, uh, that they had collected from uh, the World Trade Center site. We did not know at the time they were the last pieces of rail uh, or metal period that were to be given out. Uh, the Village of Balsa Spa in New York has them, made them into a memorial, and that's where we gather every year uh, since that's happened uh, for a uh, memorial service with uh, local dignitaries etc celebrating it and then we do our version of the lights the 9-11 lights uh right next to the uh, village hall where that memorial is it's very beautiful if you get a chance to come to balsa spa uh, or if you're watching this and you're in the local area come on down tonight and see that and share memories uh and share your recollections as well uh Games to watch, week two. Uh, we're going to go and predict some of these in just a little bit, but we want to take kind of a broad view of the schedule here. I, I would say that week two is a little more diluted in terms of the number of key games that we're watching, but there are still some doozies on the schedule. Yeah, uh, I, I called out this game at the very first game here, I think in our Montclair wraparound shows that we had done, the preview shows, that WPI Endicott would be an important game, I thought. And after watching how week one played out, I don't think that's wrong, JB. No, and both teams needed uh, comebacks where their def defenses had to kind of lock down their opposition and the offenses kind of needed to wake up and, and get things going. And that's what we saw in both uh, WPI's win over Worcester State and Endicott's win over St. Lawrence. So uh, both 1-0 um, teams. This is one of the last Friday night games that we're going to have, I think, for the rest of the D3 season. So I know there's a handful of others in New England, but this is definitely probably the you know, one of the highlights. Montclair State needs to get that offense uh, uh, moving here. Uh, that's for sure. That's what we learned the hard way uh, this last weekend. Three defensive touchdowns, but that was it. Uh, and RPI beats them 21-20 to as a result. Delaware Valley looks to be the cream of the crop in the MAC. And so if Montclair wants to make send a message to Division Three, it's going to have to be in this game. Uh, otherwise, this could yeah. be a rough outing for uh, the Red Hawks down there and everything that you know, that they've been working toward this season. You can't say week two, oh, and two would kill your season completely because they haven't started NJAC play. But here's what I will say you need momentum when you're heading into your conference season. And, you know, maybe you don't win this game, I get it, but at least 
offensively, they have to make a showing here. Otherwise, there are going to be some huge question marks. Yeah, definitely. And, and points are going to be tough to come by against this really stout Delaware Valley defense. Now, you know, you could point to the, you know, the 57 to 6 uh, beating that they put on Kane. But, you know, Montclair is, is a, a better program than that. And they should put up a better fight. It should be a good game. I, I, I hear some yard work going on uh, down there in Orlando. I, it sounds like it's uh, going to be a fun day to be in your neighborhood <laughs> with the, all the grass pollen flying and everything. Have fun with that, buddy. Uh, <clears throat> Region 2 uh, has some really huge games, actually, I would say, comparatively. Uh, yep. Huge on a national standpoint here because Whitewater Salisbury is as big as you get uh, with these games. Uh, Salisbury, when we were talking to Emory Hunt, I brought up Salisbury as that team that's sort of just always around and needs to make a statement eventually. And here's a game. If ever there was a game for a statement to be made. Yeah, and, you know, maybe they need to channel, what was it, like the 2012 um, you know, Buff State team that was somehow able to, to win by a point over Whitewater when they traveled out to, to Western New York. I mean, a win by Salisbury isn't out of the question. I mean, Whitewater does not see uh, an offense um, – like Salisbury's in the, in the WIAC and it's a long trip. It's going to be uncharted territory. And so who knows Normally what I wouldn't correct you. Normally I wouldn't correct you, but I believe Buff State was on the road for that game because when we tracked uh, down Jerry Boyce that year, they had just right. gotten back from the airport and everything. Was, and that was how amazing that performance was back then. That's why that's I don't true, want to take yeah. away from it. So yeah, yeah, that, yeah, you're right. Well, a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was. It, well, it all blends together after a while. But the point I would make by bringing that up is that, you know, Whitewater traveling to Salisbury, now you've got the double whammy here. You're going against a good team on their home turf. It's not easy to get to Salisbury uh, in the first yeah. place. And so and we uh, saw could be interesting. We saw Oshkosh struggle against Huntington in Alabama last weekend. They were lucky to get out of out of town with a win. I mean, they they kind of put it together in the late fourth quarter, but you know, it's not unusual for some. I mean, and actually, Sol, uh, Salisbury beat Oshkosh uh, pretty handily. Go. Like they yep. destroyed them in 2019. I mean, the score at the end of the day looked like it was a close game, but it was basically like 27 zip about halfway through the fourth quarter, and then there were some garbage points that got thrown in there to make it look a little better. Yeah, and I was just going to bring it up. I'm glad you did. It, it, there is a history here between uh, the WIAC and Salisbury, and uh, not that long ago, for that matter. Ithaca Brockport, a game that I said I wanted to talk about briefly, too. Um, look, Ithaca looks like they've got some good horses. <clears throat> Excuse me right now. I get a little choked up about this game. Uh, <laughs> See, so you have some uh, horses uh, in the tank here, and Brockport... Again, I said it, and I'm going to say it again. The Framingham State game, I'm not sure what you learn besides you can score points as Brockport, but when you go from Framingham State to Ithaca in 2021, and Framingham State obviously has some challenges right now because Coach Kelly had to go back into the head coach role kind of at the last minute in that situation. We sent our best to him, sent a note to him to just make sure this was true, and it was. Uh, yeah, you know this could be very interesting, but playing at Brockport is never easy, as you and I both know. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, ultimately I think it'll boil down to how the Bombers offense with their new quarterback and some new skill position players handle this ball hawk defense. I mean, the the Golden Eagles had something like eight takeaways against the Rams in week one. That's sort of, sort of how they make their living. Um, we know that they can you know, run and pass the football on offense, but really it'll be the it'll be the Bombers offense versus the Eagles defense. I think that will define this game. And I will say, Frank, that as much as you know, the final was pretty lopsided. I think it was like fifty-two to twenty or something like that. The way they beat Bridgewater State in Week One, it wasn't. You know, it was like a seven, ten-point game going into the fourth quarter there. So it wasn't like Ithaca was blowing out. Um, you know, Bridgewater State from day one. So they, the Bombers might need to ratchet it up a little bit to to keep up with uh, with this with this Golden Eagles team. But we'll see. It should be a great matchup. You can see the rest of Region 2 there, the Springfield Rowan game. Uh, Region 3 has some interesting matchups. I'm not going to say it's the best of the batch necessarily, although I am interested to see how Birmingham Southern versus Huntingdon goes after that Oshkosh Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Uh, Region 4, uh, Rose Holman and Trine should be an interesting matchup of teams that we think are both playoff possible teams ultimately in terms of their conferences, but we'll, we'll see what happens. This will be telling to see what we've got in the tank for both of those teams. Region 5, Aurora North Central after what happened with the Aurora-St. John's game. Aurora knows what they need to do here. Uh, They need to win their conference at this point. This is almost playing with house money, uh, except that you do want to win it if you're Aurora for bracketing purposes. Uh, You don't get basically stuck at 8-2 and with the number one team in the country or whatever uh, in round one. North Central, they have no game under their belt yet. And so... I'm curious to hear your prediction on this. Hold off for a second. We're going to do our lightning predictions coming up in a minute or two. Uh, But this will be interesting just to see how North Central comes out. And if they fall behind early because of that inexperience this season so far, I don't know what happens here. I really don't. We'll, We'll see. We have some interesting prospects at quarterback we heard for North Central. But what exactly plays out? We'll talk more in a minute. Uh, and then Platteville Bethel, I think becomes a big game for Bethel uh, to see what they're made of in the Mayak right now. Yeah, and Platteville as well. You're right. I think for both because I mean, you know, the Pioneers had a little bit of that, um, you know, disappointment in Week One, and if they, you know, if they could be a Wyak one runner up, possibly. I mean, that's a that's a Pool C type of situation potentially, but eight and two. That's going to be tough. And Bethel is a team that we sort of had, you know, anointed as the, you know, the next, uh, the next coming, so to speak, in 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 the Mayak um, with uh, with the departure of St. Thomas, you know. So Bethel getting a win, you know, here could really you know, boost their confidence as they you know keep moving down the road to the eventual head-to-head matchup that they're going to have with the Johnnies. ETBU UMHB. Let's save our uh, ultimate discussion on this for uh, what's about to happen here. And for those that don't know what's about to happen here, um, let's uh, do a few things here. First off, I I think we need to maybe try to, uh, well, let's see. I I thought we used to have a uh, setup already with this. Yeah, we do. Give me, give me one second here, JB. Uh, talk amongst yourselves for a minute, though. Uh, tell folks why that uh, UMHB ETBU game plays out interestingly for those that weren't around in the spring with us. 
Well, yeah. I mean, this was a game that basically the, the Tigers had uh, the Crusaders beat, and that rarely happens in AESC play. At least it hasn't for a good stretch of time here. It, it ultimately came down to a late field goal that bailed out uh, UMHB from a potential loss in the spring season, and I think it gave um, you know some national credibility to ETBU as a place that you know could maybe. Um, be a potential contender um, in the ASC, along with Harden-Simmons, obviously. Um, but ironically, Frank, ETBU really gave uh, the Crusaders their best game of the season, um, in the spring anyway. And time will tell whether or not if uh, they can do it again uh, just a few months later. So you see on the screen, we have a clock that reads 10 minutes. We have 12 games, I think. Uh, let, me, let me count these. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, That's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's like a games. lot of time, but it's also we'll, we'll probably need like 20. <laughs> <laughs> and, Keep it uh, short. For, for those that don't remember, uh, we got a little music in the background uh, to uh, select these. When uh, I name the game, which is already on the screen, you go first. And we uh, basically do the snake method here throughout so that... We can keep track of who's winning and who's losing in these predictions throughout the season. This is week two's Lightning Predictions. JB, first game, I'll be there. WPI at Endicott on Friday. Well, if it wasn't for the fact that it was Worcester State that WPI really struggled with, I might have gone with the engineers, but Endicott showed a lot of resolve in coming back to beating a up-and-coming Saints team. They're the home team. I think the goals maybe have just a little more of an edge. So I'm going to go with uh, I'll go with the goals in a high, higher scoring affair. Let's say 35 to 28. Hmm. This is the game, or this is the situation where I got in trouble last time. I, I feel like. Um, was it a Friday night game also that Endicott played that I made the prediction and uh, looked like you a jackass? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to have to show my face and they're going to see this and it's going to be no better than the last time, I'm sure. What else? I just think, I think WPI has the defense to do this uh, with the number of uh, returning seniors and everything. I, I think they righted yeah, the they ship after the uh, Worcester State almost debacle uh, last week. I'm going to pick WPI to win this game 28-21. Uh, I, I, I'm going to freaking regret doing this. I, I know I'm going to regret doing this. <laughs> oh, God. How many people are going to uh, watch this from Endicott? I don't know, but anyway, Montclair State at DelVal. DelVal's got the horses. Montclair State needs to prove themselves. We just talked about it. I'm not going to go too deep into it to preserve some time. DelVal wins, but it'll be somewhat closer. 34-22. Yeah, uh, I would really like to see something from the Red Hawks offense because if not, this game could get ugly, um, and it might late. I'll take the Aggies to win this one 37-17. MIT at Salve Regina. Well, it's funny that you brought this up because literally as I'm speaking here, Coach Gilmartin is saying that I picked against them in week one and now I'm, I was wearing a WNE shirt in our last episode. And so the punches keep coming. But Coach, 
The Seahawks are going to beat MIT on Saturday in Newport, Rhode Island. That running back, Joey Moriello, is going to have three or four touchdowns, and Coach Bubna is going to cry in his Dunkin' Donuts latte, ice latte, all the way back to Cambridge. We'll see. I'll take uh, Salve 31, MIT 28. I'm not going to say all that. I'm just going to say Salve Regina wins the game. Are you kidding me? Bubna is going to cage you after this, and Gil Martin is going to be like, whatever, uh, after all this stuff you put him through. Uh, I'm going to say the scores uh, 24-21 in favor of Salve Regina. Moriello does get some good uh, yardage at the very least in this game. Big game. Uh, Whitewater versus Salisbury. I've got to go first. Uh, based on my ballot, I should be picking Whitewater, right? I mean, they're ahead of uh, Salisbury. I'm going to pick Whitewater because I think Whitewater defensively, historically, has the focus level to play the type of football you have to play against the modified triple option in this case. You play personnel, you don't play the ball is, is really what it gets down to. And so I think Whitewater can win this game and should win this game by a score of 31-25. I, I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, I just don't think Salisbury's going to be able to do it at the end. You tell me I'm wrong. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you there, Frank. I mean, we we saw Salisbury go into that um, Elite Eight game in 2019, and I thought they would have had a chance to beat Muhlenberg, and Muhlenberg took care of them like it was no big deal. Uh, Whitewater has done that traditionally to other teams kind of across the country, except for Mary Harden Baylor and Mount Union. So I think you kind of have to go with the Warhawks just based on kind of historical precedence. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game, maybe like a 24 to 17 defensive struggle, maybe. Um, but Whitewater will pull it out in the end. Time's running low. Let's go a little quicker here. Region 2 Ithaca versus Brockport. Go ahead. I'll take the Golden Eagles at home. I think that defense is going to cause some turnovers and. Brockport will win it 31-21. Ithaca with a statement game. Calling the upset. Uh, nice. 31-30. It's going to be a, a doozy, and that means we'll have a lot of highlights if it is uh, on the show. Potter, you heard me. Here we go. Uh, Springfield versus Rowan. Um, Springfield's got a quarterback issue right now, obviously, with Wells out, and uh, their second-string quarterback was out as well in that game. I'm not sure what their uh, conditions are at this point, but you have to assume that things are a little shaky uh, in the quarterback realm. Rowan uh, revving to get going in a game like this. I, I pick Rowan to win at home. Uh, 31-20. Yeah, I'll also go with the profs. Our, our friend Juan San uh, Sanchez will appreciate that. I think uh, Rowan wins it 27 to 21. Going to Region 3 now, River Falls at Hendricks. Go. Hmm. I don't know a ton about River Falls, but, uh, you know, it is a long trip for them. I'll, I'll, you know, we've been we've been pretty positive on Hendricks. I'd had them rated pretty high in the preseason. Go Warriors. Uh, hold some home court wins. 35 to 28. Yeah, I like Hendricks in this matchup too. I think the uh, offense should be able to really kick it into gear against River Falls. Uh, the score will be 28 to 20 in favor of Hendricks. 
Uh, I probably should have gotten the next game up here, and it's going to be Catholic at uh, Randolph-Macon. Just trust me on that while I uh, fumble around with my computer. Here we go. Uh, I think that Catholic, while a better team than, let's say, two years ago this game were played, uh, I, I just think Randolph-Macon has the horses to do this comparatively. I'm going to pick as the lawnmower goes by JB's end, Randolph-Macon by the score of uh, 34-17. No, that that was actually the revving of the engines of the uh, of the Catholic uh, bus rolling down to Virginia. And I, you know what? I think that maybe Coach Gut and company might have a surprise for the um, might have a surprise there for Randolph Macon, who looked a little shaky against Dickinson. So I'm going to call an upset here. I think Catholic's going to win in a shootout, 45 to 35. Let's see what happens. Birmingham Southern versus Huntington. Go. Ooh, boy, tough call. Um, Huntington sure looked good. Um, I think the game the game is at Birmingham Southern, actually, so we might have to <laughs> switch that around. But anyway, I like Birmingham Southern. I think um, they just have a little too much offense. It might take a uh, take a little while to get it going, but I'll take um, the Panthers to upset. I guess you could say the the Hawks on the road. Uh, I'm going with the uh, Huntington Hawks. I think you learned a lot in that game uh, about yourselves uh, in the Oshkosh sense of uh, last yeah. week. Uh, so Huntington wins this game. Defense uh, dominates a little bit here, 24 to 13. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't co copy and paste uh, my own scores here that are uh, games I need to get onto the screen, like Rose Rose Human. That's that's good to know. It's Rose Holman, perhaps. <laughs> at so to this clock. Uh, oh, yeah, I told you 10 minutes wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, uh, this uh, is me. Uh, Trine, I think it has uh, the horses here. Uh, I, I keep using the horse analogy. I, I need to stop, but I think the music's doing it to me. Uh, Trine wins this game by the score of 34-30. Uh, it's going to be a good game. Yeah, I, I see a high-scoring game as well, and I think Trine will pull it out in the end. I'll take them 42-35. to Next two are some big national games here. We're going to Region 5, Aurora at North Central. Go. Uh, I think the defending champs are going to clamp down Gavin Zimbelman and company. It's going to be a, a close one, but I see um, the Cardinals winning 35-31. Zimbelman is one of those quarterbacks that when a mistake gets made, like fourth and goal from the one at 17 seconds left that we showed uh, in our clips, uh, he takes it on himself, and I think he's going to actually lead the possibility here for a potential upset. That said, I think North Central pulls it out still. Uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be another great game that we may be showing clips of here. Let's put it that way. North Central yep. ekes this out 30-27, another last-minute type of situation. JB, the uh, clock's going to run out on us. Let's let's just give it uh, the due it deserves, though, because we, rushing this one uh, wouldn't be smart. ETBU at UMHB. Uh, you you said it beforehand as you bought me some time here that uh, last spring's game uh, showed that ETBU has a the ability to at least threaten UMHB. But four missed field goals in that game didn't help Mary Harden Baylor one bit, and I don't see that repeating itself, especially at the Cathedral. Uh, ETBU's got an ego right now. 
and they need to justify the ego by winning a game like this. Do I think they're going to? No, I do not. I, but I think you also can justify your ego in this situation by playing a good, hard, gritty game that helps define the rest of the season. Because let's face it, Mary Harden-Baylor could lose to Harden-Simmons this year for the first time in forever, it feels like. And so that means a one-loss team could still win the ASC. And so you need to sort of show yourself well here uh, if you're ETBU and not let this game define your season if it's a loss. So, Mary Harden-Baylor wins, but this is going to be a good game. Offenses, I think, are going to get clamped down on both sides uh, by the defenses. 21-17, Mary Harden-Baylor. Yeah, I think... Um... I think Mary Harden-Baylor is a little angry at the fact that they needed a field goal to, to beat these guys in the springtime. I think they feel like they're a couple of steps above this and, and the confidence that ETBU has been projecting out. Um, and, you know, to be, to be fair, I mean, you know, their offense can make plays. I mean, they, they were struggling a little bit against Platteville and they pulled that one out in an impressive fashion. Um, so I think this will be a good game, but ultimately I think it boils down to the Crusaders' defense and that amazing special teams, the return game. I mean, hopefully ETBU is smart about where they angle kicks and, and whatnot because um, you don't want to give up a, a punt return or kickoff return for a touchdown. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the Crusaders are tough to beat at home. Uh, we've seen that for years, and I will take the Crusaders to win a lower-scoring, close one, 27-21. to 21. KJB, we'll transition here to the end of the show and carry ourselves out here. Uh, we want to thank everybody at Suwani for helping us get together that yeah <laughs> to get together that uh, interview earlier uh, with uh, <laughs> Jacob Vicari and Mike McGee. I uh, appreciate their time as well. Again, uh, you know, again, 9-11, 20th anniversary. You all remember where you were if you were alive for or you've heard stories enough to know what it means in this country. Play football as hard as you can and just remember... Uh, you're guaranteed nothing in life because tomorrow something catastrophic could happen. Don't uh, live your life in fear of it, but live life embracing the fact that we got another day and live it to the max. That's all I can tell you, folks. Until next week, we'll see you. Check Twitter for updates on the games we attend and a lot more.